live in one of the most religiously observant countries in the world. Many working-class communities and communities of color are rooted in religious traditions. Yet for over 40 years, the religious right has focused much of its energy on seizing control of religious narratives and institutions. This is Heart of a Heartless World, a podcast produced by the Religious Socialism Working Group of the Democratic Socialists of America, the largest socialist organization in the United States. Our goal is to amplify the voices of people of faith organizing for social, racial, environmental, and economic justice. You can follow Religious Socialism on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our website at religioussocialism.org. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon. Hello, my name is Fran Quigley of the Religious Socialism Working Group of the Democratic Socialists of America. We are the sponsor of this podcast, Heart of a Heartless World, and we are honored today to have as our guest Reverend Andrew Wilkes. Reverend Wilkes is the principal of the Wilkes Advocacy Group. Uh, he is a candidate, a doctoral candidate in political science at the Graduate Center in the City University of New York. He is an associate pastor of social justice and young adults at the historic Greater Allen AME Cathedral of New York. He is formerly the executive director of the Drum Major Institute, an organization founded by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to promote economic justice and dismantle society structural racism into advanced civil rights. He has been the recipient of many awards, which I think for time purposes, I'll just run through that he has been the recipient of many rewards. We'll stick with that. But uh, Reverend Wilkes has published oftentimes on issues of social justice for the Huffington Post, the Guardian, Sojourners and other publications. He is, um, we are grateful to say, a longtime member of the DSA and a longtime active contributor to the Religion and Socialism Working Group. So, Reverend Wilkes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Fran. Deeply honored by the invitation. Deeply honored to be a part of uh, DSA's uh, Religious Socialism Work, which continues to be path-breaking and ground-setting. Um, Fran, please have mercy on me, but just a, a quick um, edit to, to, to make. Um, deep love uh, to Greater Allen Cathedral of New York. Uh, I'm at, That's actually a former place where I used to serve, uh, and I am currently, uh, along with my wife, uh, we recently planted uh, a church in Brooklyn called the Double Love Experience. Um, rooted in the double love command of, of, of Jesus, where he talks about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so, so that's where um, I'm co-pastoring, and I um, just wanted to, to share that with, with everyone. Oh, that's exciting. Thank you for sharing. Yes, my apologies for being a bit dated on, on the bio, but that's, uh, I'm, great, I'm grateful for the chance for us to, uh, to, to lift that up a little bit. So, um, so let's go ahead and, and, and jump right into that. Let's talk a little bit. You've done a lot of amazing things over the last years. So let's talk about what you're, what you're doing today, about your, your ministry, about your research, about your activism, about your work. What, what, what's going on with you these days? Great question, Fran. What, what's giving me life these days is sitting at the nexus of 
research at the uh, CUNY Graduate Center where I'm looking at how tenant organizing and ideological practices in New York and London uh, between the years of 68 to 89 uh, has resulted in both direct action and protests of the sort that we're seeing in an area like uh, pushing back against police violence, pushing for abolition and pushing for newer ways of genuine public safety. Um, and you also see that same kind of effort uh, in rent strikes, in uh, tenants organizing on the private housing front with folks who own public housing in both New York and across the pond in London. And so this tradition of worker organizing and folks federating to enact disruptive justice is a part of what I'm giving my research attention to at the doctoral level. And when we consider what we see in the news um, reports and when we're on the streets, uh, that's very much a part of what it means to uh, pastor in a pandemic, to co-pastor in a pandemic of, you know, white supremacy, uh, COVID-19, which we know has disproportionate racial impact, but also is exacerbated by uh, being one of the only industrialized nations that hasn't made the humane, accessible choice to universally provide health care. Um, and then there's, of course, the pandemic, um, not only uh, due to structural racism and COVID-19, but also we have unemployment going through the roof and uh, many communities of, of, of color and particularly among the 16 and 34 crowd. So I'd, I'd say in a word, Fran, um, you know, these days, a part of the spiritual challenge is having enough serenity to exercise revolutionary patience and to talk about the environmental restructuring that needs to happen at a very large scale rather than a piecemeal level. Oh, I love that term, revolutionary patience. I just scribbled that down. I'm going to, to shamelessly cite you for that. Uh, it sounds like your research and, and your your day-to-day -day pastoring and activism. Oh, I, I'm sorry that they're going together so uh, uh, so seamlessly, but boy, that is clearly the, uh, the the challenge of the moment, isn't it? It really is, and um, you know, I, I, I'd love to take credit for for the revolutionary patience term. Um, I came across it interestingly enough through um, Cornell West, who is also uh, a longtime uh, supporter of, of DSA, and, and in particular, uh, he's given support over the years to its religious socialism uh, work. Uh, but but you're absolutely right, friend. The nexus between pastoring and research is, is something that uh, I'd hope wouldn't be quite as closely connected. And yet, ironically, I think um, pastoring, uh, whether one does it from a Christian perspective or whether one is an imam, a rabbi, uh, sitting in some of the subversive traditions of uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, and so forth, I, I think it's incumbent upon faith leaders in this moment to marshal the moral, the narrative, and the people power of our traditions to really point towards a better, more uh, sacred way of organizing our land, our, our energies, right? Um, and the various um, 
abundance of, of creation that, that we all inhabit together. Well, and then I, I want to say for our listeners, we'll put this in the podcast show notes, but Reverend Wilkes has written uh, some wonderful, wonderful pieces on religious socialism and on the nexus between faith and socialism uh, for sojourners, for The Guardian, uh, for uh, Huffington Post, etc. So uh, get on Google and, and, and get some more detail as to what we're going to talk about today. But, but Reverend Wilkes, let me ask you about that because I want to I talk about um, an upcoming webinar, which as we record this podcast has not yet been solidified in terms of a date, but by the time we release the podcast, we think we'll have that date. But tell us a little bit about why do you think that it's important to be, as a person of faith, as a minister, as a, a researcher yourself, um, also an, an open and avowed and active socialist? Why? What's the, what's the connection? You know, I often talk about the need to move beyond inequality management. If we know that our healthcare system isn't covering everyone, if we know that we have a huge gulf between vacant apartments, vacant uh, places where folks can lay their head at night, which folks absolutely deserve to do, and we can go on and on down the board, uh, not only healthcare and housing, but we can talk transportation, every dimension of social need and the basic necessities and requirements of life. If there's a huge and preventable supply-demand gap, we ought to be at the forefront as people of faith and as people who have political commitments that are radical and socialist in nature and saying, wait, wait a minute, we can't just push for a public administration that tinkers at the edges and expects an electoral cycle or the business cycle to provide some measure of relief when the design of our political economy is totally inadequate and foreseeably inadequate, I should mm -hmm. add, to the grief and misery of people consistently not being able to make their ends meet. And so moving from inequality management into trying to level out hierarchies through whether it's organizing strikes, whether it's pushing for uh, policy design that has the roots of economic democracy and communal um, modes of making decisions together, that to me, Fran, feels very much like what it means to have an Acts 2 vision where the people hold all things in common and give from their abundance to meet the need that is present versus having uh, hoarding going on when you know there's need. And, you know, we don't see, at least in the idealized version of the early church, the kind of inequality management that I'm referencing is par for the course in our society. Instead, I think we see a much more deliberate attempt to try to not only meet needs, but to have shared joys out of the abundance that we all have together. Right, right. Yes, if uh, if we believe the Acts of the Apostles, that's a very socialist uh, uh, society built fresh out of Jesus's message. Right. In, in many respects, and, you know, it's interesting to take it from the socialist end. Uh, Rosa Luxemburg makes the point that um, 
you see acts as a kind of socialist society uh, from the consumption end. So from what people have, they share. Uh, it doesn't quite get to the production end of socialism. Mm. Uh, but Fran, these days, I'll take that and <laughs> sanctify our imaginations to figure out the rest through our labor and work together. <laughs> right, right. So so let's talk a little bit about this this webinar. Again, where you are the one to, that is leading the way and been pulling other folks together. I know you will be speaking, but what, what is your goal for that discussion? And, and again, hopefully it's going to be something we're going to circulate out and have a lot of folks participate in and, and, and listen to and, and, and act on. You know, what, what, what's the conversation that, that needs to be had around faith and socialism in this current wave of, of, of activism and, and maybe some uh, consciousness raising about um, racism in our country? Absolutely. And Fran, I appreciate your deft conversational hand and bringing us back to the to, to the webinar. I, I think I inadvertently moved uh, uh, around that. So, so there's a need to have a conversation about three interlocking themes, faith, socialism, uh, and police violence. And there's a particular contribution that is already being made by um, folks who have been uh, rooted in socialism, uh, and in particular, to say, abolitionist feminisms, and I'm drawing here on Angela Davis, and pointing out that the, the first step is talking about uh, things like police-free schools, demilitarizing the police, uh, defunding the police through specifically moving things like mental health, social work, emergency response um, functions out of the um, police force and into city agencies um, like departments of education, departments of health, uh, and of course making sure that those uh, agencies are as participatory and accountable as they possibly can be. Uh, but there's a need to go beyond just simply um, even those deep and important reforms and reimaginings and to try to imagine and to engineer a world where we a recognize that we have the tools, we have the ingenuity, uh, and we have the moral imperatives, I'd, I'd hasten to add, Fran, from our, our faith traditions, that, that call us to recognize things like blessed are the peacemakers. And we mm -hmm. can only have a peace which is founded not on the absence of tension, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would always say, but a peace founded on the presence of justice, even disruptive of justice, even reparative justice uh, for our Jewish brothers and sisters. That looks like uh, tikkun olam, uh, repairing the world. Uh, and if we're going to repair the marred false images of public safety, we've got to get beyond uh, police uh, carrying artillery that's fit for a battlefield when they're in our neighborhoods. And Fran, we're going to set aside for the moment that we need to um, remove the stranglehold that the Department of Defense has on our federal budgets because we're just talking locally at the moment, but we know there's a deep connection between the two. Right, uh, right. And then we're also in a moment, I just want to make sure I, I at least can close the Abrahamic circle uh, where you have <laughs> 
um, uh, our Islamic siblings pushing for abolition. Uh, there's been some great work on on believers bailout that some of our Muslim sisters and, and brothers are doing. And mm-hmm. So I, I think this is a time where we've got to think big. We've got to think um, across. Um, traditional lines that don't often come together but but could if we think of um, subversive solidarity that can dislodge the power of, of capital in our communities and the conversation where that's happening with the most energy uh, is in policing and, and if I could just to, to geek out a little on the social science side because as I talk to talk to the political scientists uh, on this call about the, the moment here, and, and did you, were you surprised to see this coming? And, were you, and, and what do you think, is there a historical uh, analogy for us to look at as to how the, the current moment of, of so many actions and so much um, pushback on racist policing, do you think that we, you know, did you see it coming? And what do you think the prospects are for, for it to be built, as you say, into something that's a, 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 a real structural it's a great question. Um, you know, th- there's been a number of uprisings that we could point to as antecedents. It's been popular for some to point to uh, the 60s, but I think uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor, um, I find her work compelling. Uh, and she recently argued in The New Yorker. Um, that we could look perhaps much closer to uh, the 92 uprisings uh, in response to uh, Rodney King's um, being brutalized uh, by the Los Angeles Police Department and the similar outcry when a very well-publicized incident of wanton, arbitrary use of force with clearly an inarguable intent to harm um, was caught on video. And in that particular case, um, as it was uh, the case for George Floyd in particular, uh, even though we know, of course, uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, Tony McDade, uh, so we, we have women and, and trans uh, uh, siblings who are also being uh, killed by uh, vigilante violence or police violence. So I definitely want to make sure that we're including them in this conversation. So I'd say succinctly, uh, Fran, I, I think there is some bit of continuity when there's a nexus of uh, what some folks call in social movement cycles, a, a, a trigger event that can lead to a heroic shift um, in organizing and direct action and uprising and consciousness moving from awareness to a critical consciousness that something needs to change. And when you have public opinion surveys illustrating that uh, over the latest I've seen is two thirds of the country, maybe even higher now, uh, view police brutality in particular as a system that needs to change. It's been morally discredited. I think that creates, uh, Fran, I think the safest way we could put it and preserve both hope and uh, congruence with the facts is that we're at an inflection point. It may be the case that we see a shift now, but it's not a guarantee. And the way we can put our hands to this, um, to the streams of history that are moving at uh, cross purposes with each other and try to bend the streams uh, or steer the streams to, to shift the metaphor towards liberation. I think it's going to take 
the kind of interweaving of narratives that suspend dogmatism enough to replace that with the deployment of symbols, of narratives, of building cultural climates and political alliances that can enable us to make a structural shift. And, and what I mean by that is this. Um, one, it, it's not always the case that you see um, uh, anarchists, socialists, uh, liberal Democrats, uh, Christian folk, atheist folk, Jewish folk, Islamic folk, uh, those who come with a deep ethical commitment, maybe not necessarily theism, uh, but there's something in the language of Princeton um, scholar of religion, Jeffrey Stout, that might be religiously musical about how they show up in the world. If we can all come together and form a coalition of conscience around policing, and then we widen that to say we should get beyond what um, Octavia Butler, and I'm thinking my dear friend uh, Candace Simpson, who often quotes her work, if we can get beyond a vision of God as the big cop in the sky, friend, uh, mm. and say we need to move instead towards uh, a God of love, of liberation, of laughter, who's calling us to organize a world that's more congruent with the God we believe in, then we might have a chance to break this thing wide open. That's that is so exciting and and hopeful and so I, I think in terms of our listeners, what we're going to be asking, of course, as an action step, is to first uh, attend the the webinar that Reverend Wilkes is going to be helping lead, um, and, and of course, there's in your own communities. I'm I'm talking to you from Indiana, so even in Indiana, there's there's a, a, a wonderful, vibrant, led by young people. Uh, Black Lives Matter movement that is very connected to our local DSA. And so I'm sure everybody listening probably has some opportunities to do that. But but beyond that, Reverend Wilkes, what would you say in terms of tangible steps for maybe an ally who is uh, a person of faith, who is a socialist? What, what can we be doing? What should we be doing in, in the coming weeks and months to, to, to do, as you say, to make this transformation and, and, to, and to take this moment and, and turn it into lasting change? It's a great question, Fran. A, a few things come to mind. The, the first that I'd say is to join, support, or if you've already joined, further reinforce organizations, uh, particularly those that are uh, led by uh, black folks or folks of color, um, that are pushing for structural transformation. Uh, so there's the movement for Black Lives, which is doing great work and is a national coalition of about 40 to 50 orgs, I believe, that are working on issues like police violence and have a clear policy map for change uh, for folks in the Midwest, Chicago, in particular, Black Youth Project 100 comes to mind. Uh, I'm also thinking of um, organizations that can be supported, like the Samuel Direct Proctor Conference, which does really great work uh, and has been pushing on this issue for, for quite some time. Uh, you're totally right, Fran, that um, I think DSA chapters have uh, pushed uh, substantially and, and I think quite uh, collaboratively and in many cases on this issue. Uh, and certainly the uh, New York chapter of DSA, I think, has, has pushed to defund and demilitarize the police along with folks um, that have been pushing on this in New York for, for quite some time. Vocal New York, um, Communities United for Police Reform, and there's a number of other um, folks that are doing either deeply um, 
policy shifting work uh, to uh, just outright abolitionist work that, that I think uh, is happening in New York. Uh, another thing that I'd recommend that I think is particularly important, uh, there's a unique push in two directions. Um, I'll say three intellectually, because I want to make sure to, to give some theological resources that I think are important for this moment. Uh, the first is there's a push towards abolition and not simply uh, talk about social justice. That's important because in order to move towards social justice, we have to acknowledge the intentional designs of injustice and harm that have been visited upon all communities, poor uh, white communities, indigenous communities, black communities. Communities, Latinx communities, uh, but in this moment, of course, I, I think it's there's something uh, compelling and necessary in talking about the centuries-long harm that has been visited upon Black communities. Uh, but this abolitionist push is something that W.E.B. Du Bois, that Angela Davis, Ruth Wilson Gilmore have talked about, and I would Google some of their work and dive deeper. The, the second thing that I name is. And it's in a similar vein um, to elaborate a bit on the first thought. Uh, Charles Mills is a political theorist who talks about the ideological stance of ideal theory uh, and the importance of uh, beginning our justice work from non-ideal theory. And what he means by that is if we consistently uh, to give a more straightforward example, talk about America living up to its founding ideals of equality and equal justice under the law and due process, when those, if that's our only mode of arguing and organizing our people, when we have consistently seen those ideals argue, it can kind of paper over Fran and airbrush over the fact that um, we don't see things like reparations that, that aren't being delivered. We don't see things like educational and curricular omissions, um, occluding um, the kind of diminishment of the intellectual contributions of oppressed people and not just uh, their lived experiences. And I think there's a huge difference mm. that we have to, to, to recognize there. And so Mills calls for, instead of using uh, terms like justice, uh, talking about reparative justice, talking about disruptive justice, which acknowledges that we have to correct the harms and the uh, misrecognitions of our social and political life before we can move powerfully towards justice. Uh, and one um, um, religious scholar who I think does this beautifully is uh, uh, Dr. Kerry Day, who has a great book called Religious Resistance to Neoliberalism, uh, Black Feminist and Womanist Responses. I'd say that's um, a great place to begin for um, churches, synagogues, mosques, uh, ethical, cultural societies uh, to begin there. That's wonderful. Religious resistance. And we have a, we have a, we're going to have a long reading list after this conversation. I appreciate that. So, uh, Carrie Day's first name is spelled K E R I. Is that right? And the, that's right. And that's the book right. is Religious Resistance to Neoliberalism, Womanist and Black Feminist Perspectives. So, um, Thank you, uh, Reverend Wilkes, for for Professor Wilkes for the reading list. That's terrific for us. Frank, can I offer a big word of contextualization, if that's all right? Sure, absolutely. Um, th there's a tendency sometimes. Um, uh, 
maybe even among um, you know progressive folks and, and socialists, uh, perhaps in particular, to to almost uh, make it seem like the stronger your analysis, the more that would like kind of automatically link to to deep structural shifts. Uh, and I have often been been guilty of that my, myself. Uh, and in no way am I suggesting that that you implied that, Fran. But um, maybe perhaps out of guilt, I feel the need to confess. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and and what I just want to get on the table is that I think a part of how uh, the work of structural change becomes life-giving for us is to constantly be seeking to renew our minds, even as mm-hmm. we're trying to renew society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that curiosity, that constant probing, that never taking for granted assumptions uh, long held is, I think, a part of how we experience newness and novelty, even as we're pushing to shift what seem like intractable problems. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I want to be mindful of time because I'm, we're talking to an active uh, minister and scholar on a weekend, and I know weekends are busy for, for ministers and scholars. So, but I want to ask you a, a specific question about your work on housing, and, and that, that, uh, that is such a core fundamental human right. It is, it is the absolute core of, of all of our existence. Um, and as you mentioned, there's massive unemployment. Folks are 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 going to uh, and already ha- are struggling to to pay their rent, uh, to pay their housing costs. Um, beyond a short term cancel rent type movement, what what long term in terms of of housing? What long term is is the the goal that we're we need to be working toward? That's a, a great uh, question. A few things that, that I'd say. One is dramatic expansion of community land trusts so that we can decommodify access to housing and create legal structures um, of the sort which were pioneered by Shirley Sherrod back in the late 60s in uh, Georgia. Uh, she created community land trust in part to uh, be a safe haven for civil rights activists who were being terrorized uh, down in the South. Uh, so community land trust is, is one option. I think we need to push federally for um, increasing investment in um, and repairing and preserving public housing. Uh, the third thing that I share is uh, at the level of regional planning, and particularly in metropolitan areas, we need to push aggressively on economic development authorities to make sure that we aren't settling for, um, you know, 80% market rate and 20% uh, affordable housing, uh, but instead moving towards uh, something which is either entirely affordable or 50-50 just to, to to accelerate the discussion in the opposite direction. Uh, And then I think there's also mechanisms like uh, public banking, dramatic expansion of credit unions, uh, and even taking very seriously the conversation that uh, modern monetary theorists uh, are offering about the need to not let uh, deficit mongering scare us from making the kinds of investments that we're capable of making uh, so that we can move towards a commonwealth society instead of viewing the state as the arbiter of uh, national defense and contracts alone, which is a very conservative neoclassical way of putting the matter. The state ought to be the steward of a commonwealth which is democratically peopled by and accountable to uh, a wider populace. Right, right. And it, as, as 
as you mentioned, we do not let deficits get in the way when we want to fund missiles and and uh, and and conduct massive tax cuts for the wealthy. So why should we let them get in the way when we need basic services like this to be funded? I do want to, before we forget, is to doubleloveexperience.org is, is the, the website for you, the new church you and your wife uh, have planted, correct? That's and um, and I know that you are uh, conducting uh, services on Facebook, and so DoubleLoveExperience.org, I would encourage folks to go to, and we'll put that in our, our notes as well. But um, Reverend Wilkes, let me just a- ask you this. Is there, we've had the limited time, and I do want to respect your time, but is there, is, there, is there something else I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with our listeners? Really great question. Um, just a couple things. One, I, I love the, um, the 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 title of "Part of a Heartless World." I, I think uh-huh. it engages uh, Marx very seriously uh, in pointing out that there's a much more multi-dimensional take that that Marx has on religion and the the heart of a heartless world, the the sigh of an oppressed creature, and and, and so forth. Points to I think a much more sympathetic read of religion uh, that Marx had, and not solely uh, a deeply critical one. Uh, but but the second thing that that I'd say is. Uh, because I think it's a point that uh, folks tuning in may may be curious about or have friends who are curious about. Um, why root justice work in socialism rather than rooting justice work purely in a kind of vague anti-capitalist sentiment? And I think the reason why the former is more compelling for, for me are two reasons I share. The, the first is that we need to, at minimum, try to fail in a better direction. And if we know that capitalism is insufficient, we are morally obligated to our own conscience to try to push for something beyond it. The second thing that I'd say is we have the numbers to make this happen in terms of public opinion. We have the mechanisms. Uh, The significance of the Sanders and Warren campaigns is not only in their policy platforms, uh, because both of them, uh, truth be told, could be pushed in much more structurally transformative directions. The significance is that they were able to fundraise deeply competitive national campaigns with the policies that they had, which means we can resource transformative electoral work that can help get us to where we want to go. Elections alone won't do it, but elections plus movement and creative, fertile, transformative theological frameworks and ethical frameworks can help us get there. So those would be my parting words. Reverend Wilkes, those are wonderful parting words. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Thank you for your leadership with so many important movements right now, but especially for us and for our listeners, the, the religious socialism con- contribution to those movements. And again, we will include with folks uh, in, in our show notes about the webinar plan and time, but we thank you for organizing that and we look forward to that. So thank you, Reverend Wilkes. Let me just say uh, uh, that your website, uh, Double Love Experience, wait, sorry, doubleloveexperience.org um, is, is the uh, uh, the website for the for the brand new church being uh, planted by uh, Pastor to Pastor Wilkes, right? Uh, that's the right. Pastor, that's right. Yeah. We're passing together. That's- Pastor Andrew Wilkes and Pastor Gabby. Uh, your Cujo Wilkes is that how you pronounce your? Okay, and so thank you so much for for everything you do. Thank you for being on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you, reading more from you, and and to to following your guidance. Um, in the in the exciting, hopefully, 
promising months to come. So thank you again, Reverend Andrew Wilkins. Thank you so much, friend. Absolute joy. This has been an episode of Heart of a Heartless World, a podcast produced by the Religious Socialism Working Group of the Democratic Socialists of America. This episode was produced by Jeremy McMahon with intro music by Party Dark. You can follow Religious Socialism on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our website at religioussocialism.org. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon.